Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 66 We have an amazing guest on this podcast. Today, we're going to hear from a musician named Josh Jenkins. For some of you, you may know him as the lead singer of Green River Ordinance, which over the last almost decade now has become one of my favorite bands. And it was such a pleasure to be able to sit down and talk to Josh while we were in Fort Lauderdale for the Rock by the Sea Down South uh, Festival. It was a weekend down there in September to uh, basically raise money for some really deserving charities. And one of them is the Surfers with Autism. Uh, But you can find out more at rockbythesea.org. And um, it's a great organization uh, that brings together many amazing musicians who also take part in it to help very many great charitable causes. One of those musicians that weekend was Josh Jenkins. Josh is from Fort Worth, Texas, but now lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And we're going to talk all about uh, how he grew up playing music, joined uh, Green River Ordinance when he was a teenager. Uh, They were based in Fort Worth, Texas, but also what he's doing now as a solo artist. But he hasn't completely abandoned Green River Ordinance. But all of the guys in Green River Ordinance are now in their 30s. They have hit their stride in their marriages. They're having kids. And, of course, we're going to talk about how you, you know, then transition into family life while you're also trying to be out there on the road uh, and make it as a musician and with your bandmates and how everything blossoms from there. So uh, great conversation with Josh and I look forward to uh, having you here and hear your feedback about it. Also, uh, if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably listening on one of your favorite podcast players. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, I, you know, iTunes, SoundCloud, Breaker, whatever app you use, um, please subscribe if you haven't uh, yet subscribed. Also, subscribe to your friends. Um, share this episode if, if you will with them. And then keep in mind that we had 65 more episodes before this, and we're going to have many more after, where we interview some really creative entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists like Josh Jenkins. So, um There's a website, agentsofinnovation.org. All the uh, blog posts that are related to the episodes go up there. You can also find our social media pages there, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on them all. And thank you for following and subscribing and sharing the Agents of Innovation podcast with all of your friends and neighbors. And now let's get to our great interview with Josh Jenkins. I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Josh Jenkins, who for uh, many years was the lead singer of Green River Ordinance, actually one of my favorite bands, and now he's here on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, we are sitting here, uh, beautiful Lauderdale-by-the-Sea, basically Fort Lauderdale Beach area, and uh, it's a beautiful day, and Josh, I know you hail from, uh, originally from Fort Worth, Texas, right? Yep. Yeah. And now live in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so you've been down here playing at the Rock by the Sea down south. 
Uh, I was fortunate to actually be on the board of Rock by the Sea for about six years. Uh, left the board about three years ago, um, but this is, I think, the organization's first time doing an event in Fort Lauderdale. They, they, they normally do them up in St. George Island, Florida in May. That's the big annual festival, um, but it raises money for a lot of great causes, great charities. I think one of them down here right now is uh, Surfers for Autism, but oh, they wow. raised, uh, raised um, money for kids with you know, uh, cancer and all sorts of great causes. So thank you for supporting that and, and being here to, to bring people together. Thank you for having me. I love being a part of it. It's such a great community. Great. Well, um, and, and I know many years, I think the very first time I saw you guys play as Green River Ordinance was on the rock boat. Yeah. Uh, probably my first rock boat was 2010. I know you guys okay. have played before Not that. that. We, yeah, we had one before that. Yeah. So um, so now I know you're a solo artist uh, in Nashville. Um, you are married, have two children, That's right? That's right. And uh, but let's go back to the early days of Josh Jenkins and how you met these other uh, four guys who ended up becoming part of Green River Ordinance with you. Yeah. So a little brief history. Um, I grew up singing music and songs. My dad was a singer songwriter. So growing up, we kind of had a family band and would play these things in Texas called Opry's. Opry's are kind of like similar to like the Grand Ole Opry, but in a much more um, Texas fashion, some small little hole in the walls that where there's a house band and you get together and you play country songs. And so my introduction to music was through Opry's um, with my mom and my dad. We would go play these a couple times a month and they have a house band and I grew up singing Gene Watson and Merle Haggard songs and, and all of that fun stuff. So uh, I was doing that and then um, I kind of was not wanting to sing those kind of songs anymore. So I started exploring music and through a friend of a friend got introduced to Jamie and Jeff Ice who were in this band called Green River Ordinance. And it was like a blues rock band at the time. So how old were you then? I was 15. And so they already had established Green River Ordinance before you They were playing them. blues rock and they had hair down to their shoulders and they were on bell bottoms and pearl snaps and were playing blues rock. Like their Jamie and Jeff's parents were deadheads and so... They just grew up around music, and I had started to venture out of traditional country and started just writing more acoustic songwriter stuff, and and then met them through a friend of a friend and joined the band, and was 15 when I joined, and it was kind of from there we played throughout high school, and then went to college in the Fort Worth area, and dropped out of college together, bought a van and trailer, and started touring independently across the country wherever uh, would take us to play for nothing. We were making so little money, enough to survive on, but it was this great adventure. And then through that time, developed a following. Uh, even through that time, got plugged into the rock boat and the rock boat community and um, got a record deal with Capitol Records. And that kind of lifted us off a little bit more. And it's been uh, like 16 years since we were 15. So it's been quite, wow. quite, a, quite a while. And so you got that uh, contract with Capitol Records. Yeah. Uh, how many uh, albums did you put out with them? So we did one record with them. We did a record called Out of My Hands. We came up uh, for the second option, for the second record. And we had toured for two years and were, had a really great two-year tour. We had a song go top 15 and pushed another song to radio and built a, built a decent following. But we didn't really break, break through on a massive level, but we're building, obviously. And uh, at the end of two years, a few of us had met our wives and were, were married at that time. And so we needed a break at the end of two years. We're like, we need like time to just go be human and mm-hmm. not live in a 15-passenger van and figure out right. what we want the next record to be about and all of that stuff. And so 
what ended up happening was we ended up walking away from Capitol. Due to some events, they wanted us to write and record our record in like six weeks. They were like wanting us to put a record out and we just, all the hard work we put into it, we, we kind of decided as a group that it would be a disservice to our fans and the thing we built to rush write a record that that would you know inevitably be just rushed and not have inspiration and life in it. So we wanted to take our time on it, but it just wasn't a possibility. So it kind of became to this fork in the road where either we make this record really quickly or we try to branch out from capital, which was uh, took a lot of guts for us. We just kind of we went out in faith and believed that there was more for us than doing that. So we we parted ways with them and ended up in that time the next you know month from there we had a song dancing shoes that we just put out it was different a kind of different from anything we'd done and then that bought us some time to go make a new record yeah, yeah that's great so when when they when you first uh, met these guys at uh that were part of green river ordinance before you joined you said they were playing a lot of kind of blues and mm. rock like yeah. well how would you describe them like stevie ray like yeah ccr i mean it's like kind of credence kind of Southern rock, like yeah. just blues a little bit, like it was just kind of rock and roll. And how do, do you? Is that? I mean, you guys kind of evolved a little bit once. Oh you, yeah. yeah. So when I joined the band, I kind of was leaning more pop rock, mm-hmm. and so over time it kind of blended the worlds a little bit. Our first record's a lot more pop rock than they had started out as. I was more singer songwriter pop rock, like Third Eye Blind and Matchbox Twenty were my bands. Yeah. Post my country wave of in my upbringing, I didn't know about any of those bands, and I remember hearing like some of those records and being like there is music outside of Merle Haggard and Gene Watson and it's old I love traditional country but as a 11 year old you're like you weren't sure about it uh, well it's kind of interesting because where you guys are located geographically Fort Worth Texas I mean you got a lot of different I mean you could probably probably you know somebody who lives outside of that area would probably stereotypically say it's a little more you know so you got the countryish mm-hmm. music in Texas uh, but also you know there's some rock traditions and obviously you're just part of the broader culture of yep. pop yeah, rock and all that. So, and then they're bringing in the blues. So that's kind of a neat uh, sound. So, how would you describe? Uh, I mean, well, you, I guess you just did describe it, but you all, you guys also have a lot of different instruments on stage at one time. Sometimes, yeah, it kind of evolved. So, from that first record, which is pretty much pop rock down the middle, you know, out of my hands was a record we're super proud of. It kind of evolved into more of like southern pop rock, mm-hmm. kind of the zone we began to lend in, which had mandolins and banjos and some fiddle and just trying to like meld those worlds together a little more bluesy at at certain places. And so, you know, we didn't really have the luxury to do that on Capitol at the time. And so we kind of just, part of our departure was to explore some of that. And we like a lot of styles. Sometimes to a fault, we like covering, we like rock songs, but we also like rootsy songs, you know, so it's like sometimes we've written songs that are sometimes confusing to people because they're not, they're not all in the same Lane. Yeah, and you can you could see that maybe a little folk influence. Yeah, things. Uh, so also, you know, I know that um, you guys traditionally, you know, uh, in all those kind of genres, and I wouldn't say that you are a Christian music artist yep. in terms of uh, you know the music is specifically Christian, but you guys are all Christians. Your faith is important to you. Yeah, I've heard you talk about this sometimes on stage. Um, so tell me a little bit about. And you can also kind of see through some of your lyrics, some of mm. the uh, sort of Christian themes, the, the redemptive themes of Christianity and all that kind of coming through your, your songs. Tell us a little bit about that. And yeah. I mean, as we, start, as we started doing this, one thing we, it's, it's vitally important for us, like that is our lifeblood, you know, our faith and in the reality of, of who Jesus is and his impact on our life was 
so vitally important and has only become more important as we've grown as people and learned and, and, and gone through a lot of stuff, a lot of like life, you know, um, we grew up in the church, but, um, you really, you, you really find your faith through the struggle and realizing who God is. And so that's kind of just been always been a part of our music. Um, it's been vitally important to us. And we've always viewed ourselves as people that don't want to just write songs to the church. You know, there's people that feel specifically called. We always felt called to be in the bars and like go mm-hmm. be around people that may not know Jesus and like hopefully bring some of that message to places that, that don't get to hear it or people that won't darken the door of a church. And so there's always, you know, our kind of thing with songs has always been we've never set out to like, we're going to write a Christian song. We've always wanted to write when that those songs are just inspired. Like Better mm-hmm. Love is a song that kind of fell out. I heard a line from a devotional and that song happened. You know, it was those are precious things to us because they're personal. Right. They're not contrived that we've never wanted the faith element of who we are to be something we're trying to cash in on. We're Christians. We want to go, to, you know, and it's just sort of who, like, we who always, you are comes out. Yeah, we music. always wanted that. We yeah. always want to be delicate with that element of who we are because it's 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 something that is is there's it's a reverent place within our our life that we've always wanted to op- it just come natural, you know, and not feel like we're trying to turn a key, you know. For and God would you to would get, you also, um, you know, so people of say, you know, your generation, my generation, your generation, people that are younger, it seems like the general culture. Um, it's not as say religious. It's mm. not um, you know in as in past decades or centuries, right? Uh, in terms of the the overall dominant culture, um, and also there's there's in some ways some hostility, yeah, uh, right. Um, and you see that with let's just crazy example, you know, people not not wanting a Chick Fil A in their town mm. because the owners are Christian or something. So, uh, but but would you say? But regardless of that. Uh, younger people, there's a lot of people struggling, whether it's, uh, you know, tough economic times, mm. not finding jobs, whether it's drug addiction, suicide rates are super high, um, all sorts of, you know, people, lots of, lots of depression and all sorts of uh, areas. Um, so would you say, like, do you feel in any way kind of called, I mean, you said we're not bringing people, uh, you know, we're not, we're not say, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you said something about, uh, you know, you're not preaching at in a church in a sense right you're not you're not singing in a church in that in these songs but the, you're, you're going to the bars you're going to where mm-hmm. people are yeah and you're bringing kind of who you are to those scenes do you, would you say that um you know the people the, the younger people the generation that's kind of hearing the music this is this is a kind of a calling for you to reach them whether they want to become a christian or whether it's just like a redemptive thing to believe in yeah i think as kids that came out of the church and a lot of religion and a lot of rules. I think there's probably a large part of our uh, call, I would say, or something we felt important to us was to represent Jesus mm-hmm. and who who Jesus really is. Because sometimes, you know, we're imperfect in the church by by all means is mm-hmm. not perfect, and there's been a lot of things where people come out of it damaged and really keep it at arm's length, and it's not Jesus at all. And so for us, it was like we went through that, and and in certain ways rediscovered who Jesus was and what Jesus said and and what he has done for us in the invitation of a relationship through him. And so I think in that we go to these places, if anything, one of my favorite things to do is, you know, if you look at Jesus, a lot of people that knew him or followed him were not your likely characters. And so the beautiful thing of that mm-hmm. is the gospel goes everywhere. And we, you know, I heard someone say this, you representing Jesus is to represent him, you know? And so for us, it's like, we want to present 
not some church religion, Jesus, or some rule following Jesus, or some strike you down from the sky God that creates fear, and so you have to approach him uh, meekly. We, we wanted to represent Jesus of, we believe, the Jesus of the Bible that would go eat with whoever, the tax collectors, the broken people, the messy, marginalized people, right. and he really favored them over the religious. And so for us, it's like going to these places, we get to be around people that might be like, Oh, I don't, I'm not interested. I have a lot of anger or a lot of hostility, and we get to like gracefully step in there, and hopefully, out of humility, hopefully out of humility, we get to speak of a love that's greater and a love that meets you where you are, a love that picks you up, um, and and a father and a relationship, and not a God that's authoritative, you know, a God that is a father that's waiting there to be in that relationship, kind of the prodigal son image. And so for us, that was kind of always our call. We were messy people, and so we. We love grace and love singing about grace. And so for us, going into the bars and, and places and love to like have those conversations with people, even if they don't believe what you believe, there's such a beautiful exchange that happens in those places mm-hmm. uh, that feels like the gospel is alive in those places uh, because it's, it's not in a box. It's right. fluid. The gospel is not contained by some wall and it, it can't exit that wall. It's like sometimes we, got, we separate holy and... And our life and the gospel and, and God's love goes everywhere. And so the darkest places, the darkest bars with the people that may have the craziest history, those are the places I'm like, I want to be in those places. I want to be able to reach out and extend that love of the Father to someone and see the gospel connect with them in a way that would change their destiny, change their life, change the way they view themselves, change the way they view their spouse or their relationships. And so um, that's always been... You know, we have days where we lose sight of that or it becomes about us. You know, the crazy thing about the business is there's so many things that success and all of these things kind of get put on you and you can try to, you know, let that be your compass of direction and you have to always redirect your focus to what is our purpose. Purpose Mm -hmm. and success for us was never about, you know, we didn't sell a million records, we're not successful. For us, it's like, man, if we can reach people in a positive way and be an impact on them and, and let them know about God, but also let them know that they're valuable, that they're worth something, and the value of community and, and all of those elements that I think are integral to life, then we feel like that is success. I heard that, you know, someone say that success is living out your values, and that's what we value. So for us, you know, we never really sold a million records or came close to that, but we, all, we felt we had a lot of rich relationships and conversations and uh, exchanges with people. Right. Is, that, I mean, that's successful. You're having an yeah. impact on people. Yeah. Um, and by the way, but you guys haven't been not successful. You've done pretty well. And yeah. it's this is a tough uh, you know, business to be in. Uh, it's not, I mean, I know that today with all the online, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, everything, it's probably easier to get your music out there in terms of uh, it's out there. Somebody can listen to it, but there's so much saturation in the market. How do you kind of break through? And you seem to have breaking through, you know, quite a bit. I mean, um, so tell, uh, you've been able to make it and sort of sustain a living through music as a band. You did that. Uh, and now, uh, now tell me, uh, you moved to Nashville. I did. I moved to Nashville nine years ago. Oh, nine years ago. Eight and a half. Yeah. So you guys were still a a pretty cohesive band and, and touring pretty extensively together, even with that move to Nashville. Yeah. And when, and then uh, your oldest child is how old? Four. Four, and your second? It's two. It's two. So, and, and I know Jamie... Is, Jamie's got uh, Rosie and Justice. Rosie, I think, is like... How old is Rosie? Maybe four? Three yeah. and a half? Three or four? She's right around my, my son's age. And do the other guys have any kids? Um, Jeff Ice, Jamie's bro, has two. Yeah. yeah. 
So, um, and so th- those are in the last four years or so. Uh, so at what point um, do, would you say the band really evolved to, you guys are kind of, and I know Jamie's, Jamie's got, I mean, these guys are all doing different things, yeah. like, both musically and also like Jamie's got like restaurants and oh, yeah, Fort Worth and everything. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about what everybody's kind of up to now when, and when you kind of took off as a solo more of a solo uh, artist. Yeah, I think throughout the evolution of Green River, you know, it always, it always was, I always had songs that I was writing that didn't fit the band, and there was always a desire to release those songs. And so um, I remember Ken from Sister Hazel said this one time. He said, never let, never hold anyone down that's in your group. Like, always let those things have a space just because it creates harmony within the group you know mm-hmm. find time and place to agree when like you know bear from need to breathe releases a solo thing or ken or somebody else does it. it's like but he just kind of those things can be toxic to the toxic to the environment if you don't let them breathe and so we've been touring for many many years and i just i had some songs that i wanted to put out and have been slowly putting them out but um but yeah that's kind of the trajectory with with my solo and song. you're doing songwriting too right for I other am. people yeah so when i moved to nashville we, you know, we were working on Under Fire. It was after Under Fire. And I always just, I was like, man, even at that time, being married, going like, there's as much that the road is a necessity with being in a band. I always wanted to just make sure I was sewing into things as well that allowed me not to tour as much. You know, as I was getting married and having kids, I was like, touring is not, touring full time for me was not a fit. Mm-hmm. So we had to find a sweet spot as a band to go play shows and be functional, but also I needed stuff to do when I was in town that I felt like I was in a community building something that would not require me to be gone 250 days a year. Um, so writing was that thing. So when I moved to Nashville, I was like, I want to be, you know, I had friends that were doing it. I want to get into the community. I, wanted, I would love to write. It's kind of my passion. And so those things have kind of lived alongside each other. So when I'm home, I get to write and, yeah, well, so let me ask you, why did you move to Nashville nine years ago? Uh, Nashville was just the spot. It was just the place to be. I had friends there. My, there, my brother was there, great community of writers there. And I was like, if I wanted to write commercially for country or some other formats, it's like it just seemed like the fit. L.A. and New York wasn't really practical at the time. And so Nashville felt like a nice transition from Texas. It's funny. We've pro- <laughs> I've probably had about nine or ten artists on this podcast that live in Nashville uh, Steve Everett, you know, yeah. Paul Fowl, Amy Gerhardt, uh, so um, uh, Andrew Leahy we recently yeah. had on, so all sorts of people, and that, everybody sort of says a lot of similar things yeah. about Nashville, and it's just a great sort of geographic spot in the country, too. Uh, but, uh, so you got, you moved there, but, you know, you guys were still touring, so tell me a little bit, too, about what's it like, you, you kind of alluded to this, but building a family while managing a band and a music career. It's very challenging. Mm-hmm. Very challenging. You know, I think any musician that tours that is married, if you're being real, like it takes a lot of grace from the partner on the other end of that. Just mm-hmm. because it's a sacrifice. For us, my, my myself and my wife and some of the other guys, I cannot tell you how many people don't see that, you know, as you're going city to city and things are all exciting. People come to shows, everything's great, you know, and it is. It's awesome. It's a blessing. It's like the the coolest thing ever to like write songs, get them out into the world of people to come and pay hard-earned money to sing them with you. You know, but the reality behind the curtain is all the other time that you spend traveling from place to place on a phone and a 15-passenger trying to, like, talk to your wife. And <laughs> she's lonely, you know, because you've been out for six weeks. And so, especially add kids on top of that, trying to take kids and learn how to raise kids while you're gone. So, um, 
it's been, you know, it took a lot of work to figure out that dynamic and to do it. And, uh, it took a lot of grace. I feel like any, any person that's touring in a relationship would say, man, the other party, it takes a special person to, to kind of saddle up for that. Yeah. And, um, not to mention, uh, there's probably a lot of temptations on the road. Yeah. You know, and we, <laughs> especially we, being a rock star, man, you know, the good <laughs> thing about the, the band, you know, in that regard is we're all brothers, you know, not by blood, two of us are blood, blood brothers, but, there was such a congruency of direction for us not that the temptation wasn't there but that's why having a band and people that love you and know you and know you and can protect you from your own uh your own self you know i'm super thankful for that because we we were able to kind of protect each other from a lot of any of that stuff you know a lot of temptation and um well you guys seem like you know obviously you have uh, a good strong foundation and so let me ask you too. Uh, being uh, artists who are Christians, and in some ways you you know you're you're open to sharing your faith on the road or from the stage. Uh, between uh, have you found uh, you know other artists? Uh, you know, obviously you have lots of artist friends all over the uh, the country in many different places uh, that also are kind of similar to you in in your faith and and uh, I mean I know you mentioned like Need to Breathe and, and maybe uh, Sister Hayes a little bit. Uh, being some of the the bands you are close with, but uh, that have you found any kind of cohesiveness or things you share with with them about about your faith or and and how to balance that with your music career? Man, we we did some tours early on with Need to Breathe. Like when we were starting out, they were starting out. They mm-hmm. kind of were a little bit ahead of us, and we we were playing shows together for two hundred people. Like I remember those days we were opening for them, and nobody was coming. Um, you know, I remember hearing them sing Wash by the Water and there was maybe 75 people in the room, you know. And so yeah. we got to kind of be alongside them and kind of our trajectory about like what we valued and what we were headed and, and, you know, our aim. So they had a similar aim to us as far as kind of what they were, their vision was. Two brothers in a band too. <laughs> Two brothers in a band, you know. And so, but also like a buddy of mine has got him, Andrew Ripp. Like there's been some dear friends to me in the business that have, have always kind of helped me maintain that perspective of just going like this is what it's about because you can forget you know you make it about i'm releasing this song and the single and how many people and get all of the terms engagement and social media all these things of just trying to get people to know about your music and then like your music and then buy your music and especially in the age of the records are gone and streaming and all of that and you just you get lost in all of those things not that they aren't important but you need people beside you that are always you're kind of in that conversation of perspective of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And so for he's somebody for me, he's a dear friend of mine, lives in Nashville and that he's kind of been a person influential in just maintaining that perspective. Good. Um, so now do you do music full time still? Uh-huh. So, and then, uh, and so a lot of it, you know, it's a balance of your own career and also yeah. songwriting for other people and then gigs like this and probably how many times a year do you guys still play together at GRO? Probably 15. 15, 15 times 15, 15, and they're yeah. kind of all over the place? Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. Um, and I know they're involved in a lot of things too. So in addition to uh, music, like what are, are they all doing music too or so, they all different things? I'm the only one doing music still uh, outside of the band. Um, Jeff is doing marketing for a company in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I see Jeff often. Denton's in Nash- Nashville and he's doing he started a bag company, a leather bag company. So wow. he's doing that, which is awesome. Really great. Hunkerbagco.com. Amazing bags. 
And then uh, Joshua works in Texas, and then Jamie does like real estate in Texas. He started a real estate company. So yeah, I see I see Jamie on uh, social media all the oh, time, he's and a it's like media he's, team. and he's just but he's like I'm like how, how, this guy's into so many things. Oh he's, man, he's, he's the entrepreneur. Yeah, the band. Yeah, yeah. He's the, he is always. I was always like, I want to just make music and play songs, and, <laughs> and you know, he was always like, how do we do this? And like, he's the brains. He was really the brains behind marketing and all of that stuff as well as being musical he was always the guy that like loved to be creative about how music got out and how we reached people and how to engage and it's so I mean honestly wouldn't be where we were without you know the beauty of a band is everybody has their strength but you know he's really just he was really fantastic at, at reaching people yeah no he is uh, so um, Josh one of the things I like to ask people on this podcast and I interview a lot of entrepreneurs and I I view uh, all the artists I interview as entrepreneurs in a different space in the talent, in a, in a, in a, you know, they just uh, have music talent, creative talent. Um, what was your first job? Man, first job for me. Well, I started a lawn mowing company when I was like 11 with my brother and we would go around the neighborhood and mow lawns. It was Busy, Be- Busy Buddies Lawn Care Service. Oh, yeah. And then that was, I was super young. And then one of my other jobs was doing dishes at a restaurant. That was one of my, like, summertime. I think I was, like, 15 or 14 or something. I was 15. I had to be 15. It would have been illegal. And then, uh, yeah, so both those jobs were pretty, uh, pretty humbling. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, what did, you, what did you learn? And are there, any, are there any things you still kind of keep with you today that, that uh, you might have you learned from those I jobs? I mean, I think all of those jobs, if anything, I read this book called Grit, and it's like this idea that the uncomfortable elements of whether you're doing dishes or in music, like you're going to encounter areas of uncomfortable, being uncomfortable mm-hmm. that are going to stretch you, that you're going to have to stay hanging there. And you could either check out or you can hang in there and you could see it through, you know, wherever through is, whatever your objective is. And so for me, and all of those things, all those different stages of, of just working, you just realize the importance of hanging in there. Like define your goal and be willing to see it through and also be willing to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I think we oftentimes run from that and you kind of forego what your objective is by just because you're uncomfortable instead of going, you know, embracing that a little bit and, uh, and be willing to fight. Well, that's great. Um, last couple questions here. And uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was um, as you are uh, you know, you've had now a solo career. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the uh, songs that you have put out, and uh, maybe, and we're going to end this podcast with one of those songs. Yep. But uh, how you've sort of gotten to there um, with with some of those songs? Yeah. So I mean, a couple of them. The first one was a song called "Perfect Mess," and that was a song I wrote with my brother and a buddy in Nashville. And it was a song that just was inspired and felt special and. You know, the beauty of releasing songs for me was just like, I don't really hold any of these too tightly. I just wanted to get music out into the world. So um, that was the first song that I released, a song called Broken Record. And I just recently released a song called More Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, so. great. So um, what, what, would you, what advice, sort of parting advice, would you give to any, uh, whether they're entrepreneurs out there or whether they are, uh, you know, up-and-coming musicians or just people in the industry uh, that are trying to kind of make it as a, whether it's, being part of a band like you've been part of or as a songwriter? Hmm. Anything you've learned, especially over the years, something maybe surprising? Uh, I mean, I know you've been doing this since you were 15, basically, but so maybe it's sort of just something part of who you've been for a long time, but, um, or maybe, maybe something you've seen evolve. Yeah, I mean, 
one of my, I feel like the most important things for me, obviously, like we have aspirations, ambitions, whatever it is. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have a vision, you have a dream, you want to see it through. If you're a songwriter, you're an entrepreneur, or if you have a band and you want to get music out. I think one of the things that's always been important to me that no, whatever rung of the ladder you make it to, whether you're beginning or you're uh, mid-level or you're super successful, always re- maintaining the element of teachability because mm-hmm. I think, you know, in our business, everything was evol- is evolving, you know, and everything's evolving. Right. But like in music, we got to, I remember we were first making music and we were releasing records, like CDs, not, not vinyls. That was before those came back. But we were releasing CDs and, and people were buying full CDs and then iTunes came about and, and people were, uh, you know, really single heavy and now we're in streaming. And I think mm-hmm. the thing through all of that is you, you kind of get comfortable with the environment and then things change. And then you have to reorient yourself to what the new stage is and then reorient yourself to the new playing field. And so for us, always being teachable, always being hungry, but always being teachable. Like a level of humility comes with that because you're like, you could be successful one day think you got it all figured out and then the next day you're like this isn't working like it used to and so you kind of have to stay humble and I think that's with anything like if you're running a successful business the climate of what you're doing is potentially always changing so like we're kind of maintaining that humility and being teachable to go talk to people to go put yourself in the environment and figure out what what's connecting with people because ultimately what we're trying to do is connect with people yeah. whatever you're selling so for for us that's one thing that's been integral you know we've been kind of forced to be like oh this doesn't work like it used to. Yeah. What do we do? You know? And then you look to the kids, like younger kids that are releasing music and how they're doing it. And you go, ah, oh, there's some like very kind of ground level uh, hustle into that that we wouldn't have thought of. And so you kind of learn from the new model, you know, and so things change. Yeah, well, um, you're definitely right. I think what you're doing is connecting with people. You've, I, I feel like as a fan and someone who's come and listened to your music, whether it was on the rock boat or at Rock by the Sea or at some of your concerts uh, in different places, uh, I have felt like, you know, you connected with me and mm. I connected with you guys with uh, just, you know, you, you, you guys produce very meaningful music mm. and it's great music, like take away the lyrics, like like the actual music itself is, is great and fun and uplifting and then the lyrics, I think, really uh, also just give it so much meaning. So you guys have done that great over the years um, and uh, now, um, so I want to thank you for that and thank, thank you, you for providing you all that. that because I think, you know, what, one thing that... One of the things I think maybe artists take for granted and I think maybe fans take for granted is um, just like a, a product in the store, right? I mean, the iPhone, right? Look at all the joy and maybe suffering that the iPhone has brought to us, sure. uh, but all the great efficiency and everything. But also, you know, the, um, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of times I've listened to some of your songs, mm. whether it's on a run, <laughs> you know, whether it's in the gym, whether it's on a car ride or whether it's, hey, something at a moment to pick me up or something or even sure. just to a concert. So. I always want to thank you for that because uh, listen to your a lot. Thank you your music much. a lot. But now I want you to uh, we're going to end this podcast with one of your songs. Uh, what song are we ending it with? And uh, my songs or Green River songs. One of your well, whatever. I think probably one of your songs would be great. Yeah, let's do uh, let's do Perfect Mess. That'd be a good. That's my first single off my. So tell us uh, a little <coughs> bit about uh, Perfect Mess. How you came to this? Yeah, it's a story song. It's about meeting someone in this kind of it's po- a poetic narrative of meeting someone and kind of falling in love which is something i'm a huge fan of and, and so yeah that, it's that's probably about half if not more than half the songs uh, ever written right i know i know <laughs> that never gets old yeah that, well that well you gotta you gotta do what works and, and that's also part of the human condition and yep. so thank you josh jenkins for being on the agents of innovation podcast well, thank you took a train to the city snuck in some la rooftop bar dj playing remy 
Dancing and pretending we were stars, stars high above Cars below, looking up, I nearly jumped out of my chest She pulled me up out on that ledge Easy to look at, hard to handle Angel eyes like Romy candles Kenny Rogers kind of gamble Damsel in a yellow dress Coffee white, whiskey water Eldorado, West Coast daughter From the moment that I saw her I knew she'd leave me in a perfect mess 2am was electric High heels and a hand running down the street Through our last bit of money Tipping some dude playing Dylan through a boombox Beep, beep, under our feet Said, hey boy, what you say we get some meat Always remember this night She was one hell of a high Easy to look at, hard to handle Angel eyes like Romy candles Kenny Rogers kind of gamble Damsel in a yellow dress Coffee white, whiskey water Eldorado, West Coast daughter From the moment that I saw her I knew she'd leave me in a perfect mess Yeah And I can't remember where she ran to But it's almost like she's always on my mind Always on my mind Easy to look at, hard to handle Angel eyes like Romy candles Kenny Rogers kind of gamble Damsel in a yellow dress Coffee white, whiskey water Eldorado, West Coast daughter From the moment that I saw her I knew she'd leave me in a perfect mess I knew she'd leave me in a perfect mess Man.